Hey, this is Doreen Greenwood. And I'm Ann Matthews, and you're listening to Civic Talk. In today's episode, we're going to talk about policy whiplash during the pandemic. We're going to focus on our kids' education and how the policies on learning were constantly changing. The challenges, the failures, the ambiguity, and the anxiety. Oh, the anxiety. So let's get started. Hey, Anne, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Doran? I'm doing fine. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about policy whiplash, but let's start with a story about real whiplash. Yes. When I was 26, I was driving my dad's car through... um, What kind of car? What kind of car was he driving? Oh, it it was a Subaru Legacy. Okay, so you're driving your dad's Subaru Legacy. Yes. And I was coming up to a busy intersection in, in the west part of Toronto that and a car in the opposite direction ran the red as I was completing my left hand turn and and sideswiped me. And my car did a full 360 and and the seatbelt saved me, but in the process my neck snapped really hard to the left. And unfortunately, I have to say my shoulder has never recovered. I think that's a really interesting segue for this conversation we're going to have about policy whiplash, because I swear in the age of COVID, my shoulder has ached more with every example of policy whiplash. You said you don't think you've ever recovered. And I kind of wonder if we will ever be able to fully recover from what we have all lived through for the last almost year and a half. And I think where you and I have probably felt it most is with our kids' education. Yes, absolutely. So March 13th, 2020. I will remember that day for as long as I live because that is the day my kids got sent home from school with no foreseeable return to the classroom in the future. The panic that I felt was more for them, I think, than for me. It wasn't so much about could I handle them being at home. It was, could they handle being at home? How were they going to get a quality education from behind a screen in the confines of their house with no social interaction, no intellectual stimulation from teachers and peers? That lasted until April 21st, 2021. My kids did not go back into the classroom until that. The policy whiplash that we as parents had to endure were the notes that came uh, electronically from the school board that could not give us any clear information until they were given information from public health officials. And our first indication that they might go back into the classroom was January of 2021. It, It all hinged on the rates of infection. We hung on every word about positivity rates. So it, we really had no indication that they would be in or out of the classroom up until two weeks before they were supposed to go back. And then the date came and went and they were still online. And then it changed. Then it wasn't about thresholds in terms of infection rates. Then it was, well, now there's a vaccine. Teachers will not go back into the classroom until they are fully vaccinated. And we said, well, when is that? They set a date in late April with only six weeks of school left. My kids went back into the classroom on April 21st, 2021. 
but there wasn't as much whiplash as I thought there would be. The the school board was pretty good about communicating. They were just very ambiguous in their language, very non-committal. No direction from the state. They completely deferred to the county, and uh, the boards were all at the mercy of whatever uh, the county told them to do. Wow. What about you? What was what's it? What's the education experience been like for your kids this past year? Well, I think we were quite different than your experience in California. I think in Ontario, there was much more direct operational whiplash in the sense that the kids were home, the kids were at school, the kids were home, the kids were at school. And it was just before March break of 2020 when our schools closed. And it was one of those, oh, let's pack pack your backpack and put take your shoes out of your desk and bring it home for March break. Uh, you're probably not going to be going back for a bit, but don't worry, you'll be back soon. So that was sort of got through March break, then March break was extended, then April came and it wasn't, people didn't really understand what was going on with the science. And so the education system was just in reactive mode. There was no synchronous learning going on within the you know publicly funded boards in Ontario you would have outlier teachers, some who might be um, isolated or criticized if they were going above and beyond to start to deliver synchronous education. And for the most part, April, May, June was for my three kids, they were hanging out in the laneway playing and every and me kind of nervously looking at uh, Google Classroom to figure out what they were expected to do on their own. There was no physical connection with her classmates through a live online classroom. There was no communication with the principal or the teachers. And so those were three lost months. But I can't wait for all of the studies that will come out in decades in the future that will look at the learning gaps of those children at different points. And so for my youngest, it was the time when she should have been learning multiplication tables. And there was that continuous feeling in the spring of 2020 that they might go back at any time. You might go back in two weeks. Oh, the numbers seem a little bit better. Oh, we might be going back. Oh, we've heard from the teachers. We're going to go back. Oh, we don't need to get everybody with a laptop yet because you're going to go back. So that was that was the spring. And then the summer came, which was sort of, you know, the the the, the summer that wasn't. And then we thought as parents that for Labor Day, after Labor Day, beginning of September, that the school system was ready, was ready with the um, necessary uh, health precautions in place. They had figured out social distancing. We figured they'll be ready. They'll be ready the Tuesday after Labor Day. But they weren't. And it went on for a few more weeks into September. But then they did go back to school, wearing masks, trying to do social distancing, even though they're in the school, it was great they were with their friends and they were learning in person. The level of of um, nervousness permeated and always that feeling of we could be closed next week. Will we make it through the month? And lo and behold, before Christmas, they were closed again and then and then went back late after Christmas. And then again in April, they were closed and here we are uh, and they are not in school. They're in online. 
But I will say that this year, this academic year, they at least figured out synchronous learning. And so there's been much more teaching going on, assuming that, you know, students can manage that from home and they have the technology they need and they have enough um, adults around that can support them in their learning. But at least there's actual teaching going on, which there wasn't any of at the beginning. It was the same here. There were the last three months of school here were a complete write off uh, in, you know, the first spring. The first spring of, of the pandemic. But I think it was, it's been frustrating for parents in Ontario. It's funny, I've seen all the stories and I, I hate to say it, but I sometimes react like, cry me a river. My kids were out of their classrooms for 13 months. So a few weeks compared to 13 months is, I'm not saying it's a cakewalk, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not that long. Did that, did that regional model work do you think in California where decisions on whether schools were open or not was locally handled? I think it did. Well in Ontario I think the the issue as well with making education policy decisions was you didn't really know who were the key influencers in the decision making. So early on it was obviously the Premier and the Minister of Health and then as the new school year began in September 2020 it became a, a little bit less clear if the scientific table that were advising the premier were calling the shots and what the role of the chief medical officer of health of Ontario was um, deciding and then all the other local medical officers of health. And a more regionalized model kind of came to be in the fall and then into spring of 2021 that was based on um, infection rates but you couldn't tell when it was the Minister of Education making decisions, when it was the Minister of Health making them, or the Premier, or the science experts. And a whole subcategory of experts started emerging, which were pediatricians and pediatric healthcare experts that were talking about the mental health toll on of online learning. And it became less and less clear who the premier was relying on for decision making. And so that was also really exasperating for parents because you couldn't have a clear path to say, oh, when we reach this threshold, we'll go back to school. It was so unclear. As a parent, it was just like, well, what do we tell our kids when our kids are scratching their head and saying, mommy, am I going back to school or not? And why would I go back to school or not? Or is it safe? Oh my goodness, how many, times did my children say to me, but mommy, should I be going back to in-person school if it's not safe? How do we know if it's safe? And and for me and all the other, you know, grown-ups around, we're like, well, I don't know. How do we know it's safe? Because from a policy perspective, it was not clear. But let's pause there. And when we come back, let's talk a little bit about regional variation and public policy and how that affected people's behavior. <laughs> 